Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I, pr I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting offers, and please feel free to share this with other people who you know will also find it of interest. So as you heard from my botched introduction, this is definitely not a scripted program, and I like that. And I have today, today is a, a, a very interesting, I think solemn, very solemn, but very inspiring conversation. Uh, the Jewish people this week, as we are having this conversation, are in the midst of a period of mourning. It's a, it's a three-week period heightened by a, a shorter nine-day period and kind of capped off with the day that this conversation is going live uh, on what we call Tisha B'Av, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av. And it's significant for the Jewish people for thousands of years, but more recently, we've seen non-Jews, specifically Christians, becoming involved, connecting. And we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss that historically. But today, and actually, I'm really pleased how this worked out. I have three terrific guests, and uh, we're going to jump in and, and try and explore why, you know, I think for most non-Jews and, and Christians, perhaps specifically, the notion of having a, pre a prescribed period of mourning is also something that's kind of unusual. So we're going to get into that. But first, let me introduce um, our three guests, my three guests. First is Rabbi Ilan Adler, who was born in Israel, and he's the son of Hungarian Holocaust survivors. While serving Orthodox Jewish congregations in Stanford, Connecticut, Baltimore, Maryland, Ilan was the president of the Baltimore Board of Rabbis and participated in many significant interfaith initiatives with Christian and Muslim and Black leaders. He made Aliyah in 2010 with his wife, Doc, Dr. Rivka Lambert Adler, and their family. He currently lives in Efrat in the Judean Hills. By full disclosure, they are my neighbors. And he teaches teens and adults and seniors and offers counseling and officiates at Jewish life cycle events to those coming from abroad to celebrate these events here in the land. Dr. Rivka Lambert Adler, who, as I just introduced, uh, Rabbi Ilan Adler, is also married, uh, re related by marriage. She is a writer, book reviewer, adult educator, specializing in, specializing in Jewish and Israeli content. She's a Jewish expert on the Torah awakening among non-Jews and has edited two books on the topic, 10 from the Nations, The Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews, and Light up the, Lighting Up the Nations, Jewish Responsibility Towards the Nations Today and in the Messianic Era. Dr. Adler is currently working on another book, Women from the Nations in the Hebrew Bible, a Torah commentary for current and former Christians about women in the Hebrew scripture who were not born into the Israelite nation. And Steve Warp is the founder of Blessed by Israel, a company that promotes and, uh, products and businesses of Jewish pioneers here in Judea and Samaria. He, he and his company and his family have been able to purchase hundreds of thousands of dollars in products from small businesses here in Judea and Samaria for resale to people all over the world, making a very significant financial impact to people here who are our neighbors. Steve, his wife, and his five sons travel an average of 40,000 miles a year across the United States, connecting with thousands of people in churches, synagogues, and small groups, telling the story of the Jewish people returning home and about the Jewish families living out the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here in the land. They have also partnered with the nation's ninth of Av, where they are working to make observance of and connection to Tisha B'Av, the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, which we're observing this week, into a life-changing event 
for Christians and Jews around the world. Today, because we are literally among friends, we're going to dispense with titles, um, but I did want to be sure to introduce Rabbi Adler and Dr. Adler appropriately. And it's, it's not a live conversation. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows that we are recording this, but it's important that we're having the conversation the week of Tisha B'Av. Um, we, I, I don't know if anticipating is the right word, but we're anticipating the upcoming fast day um, and day of mourning, and we're praying that this will be the last time that it is observed as a fast day. If you're listening live, so to speak, on the day this episode is released, you're listening on Tisha B'Av, our most mournful and solemn day of the year. And if you're listening later, although that we'll discuss some contemporary issues, like most of our conversations, um, this topic is evergreen and I think is, uh, as, as much as anything else, puts your hand on the pulse of the pace of Jewish life for the last thousands of years, as well as how Jews and Christians are coming together. Steve, Rivka, and Ilan, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Inspiration from Zion. Great to be here. Jonathan. So let's jump in. And, and uh, Ilan, I'm going to turn to you as the rabbi uh, in residence here. Before we get into some broader issues, Tisha B'Av is not just a single mournful day for a single event, but it's a compilation of a whole lot of history, a whole lot of stuff, bad stuff that's befallen the Jewish people. Could you unpack that for us, both historically and, and rabbinically? Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I can tell you that um, perhaps the conversation can begin when we consider the fact that the Code of Jewish Law, which was written in the 1500s by Rabbi Joseph Caro, he mentions that when we men when we enter the Hebrew month of Av, which we did a few days ago, uh, and uh, we're broadcasting today on the ninth of Av, the Jewish law, the Code of Jewish Law says when we enter Av, we decrease our joy. In other words, the nine days as we get closer to Tishia B'Av, uh, we do things that remind us of the fact that we don't have the holy temples that once stood in Jerusalem. So this, the many days before the first of Av, that three-week period that you mentioned a few weeks ago, we already are very aware of the fact that we are entering a period that is very, very sad. The only problem is we've never seen the holy temples. The most recent one was destroyed in the year 70. That's about 2,000 years ago. So how do you get mournful? Yeah. How do you get uh, sad about something you've never seen, you've never experienced? And so I, when I teach about this, I like to say that if you have a slinky, if anybody can imagine that game, yeah, kids play with. So many of the things that we do during that three-week period imitates the Jewish mourning period, M-O-U-R-N, mourning period, that when uh, an immediate family uh -huh. passes away, there are certain rituals and customs that we do. Now, if you think of that mourning period when somebody passes away, think of the slinky as being very, very compact. Yes. So we can't really live in that depth of sadness and mourning all the time. Good. So Jewish law says we have to, on that first day of mourning, there are certain things we do that last for about a week. Uh, we have an audio problem at the moment. There we go. Try again. And then there are there certain things that we do that last for the week, the month after somebody passed away, the year so in a sense, imagine the slinky being pulled out. In other words, we have to get away from the the most mournful and deep sadness and pull ourselves out of it. However, during these three weeks, the slinky, imagine the slinky being expanded out. And the closer we get to Tishabov, the more and more rituals and customs we have that put us in a sad state of affairs. 
So now the slinky is getting closer and closer and closer to being compact. And that's the idea. During the three weeks, because again, we, we don't know it. We don't know what to miss. Right. So the three weeks is a mindset. But, so, but it's not only about the destruction of the two holy temples. Right. But before you talk about that, I just want to interject the three yeah. weeks, which is a term that we toss around very freely among Jews, is the three-week period leading up to the ninth of Av, which historically we know was the day the Romans breached the walls of Jerusalem and began the destruction of, of ultimately what became the, yeah. the destruction of the temple. That was the second temple. The second temple, correct. In the year 586, before the Common Era, we had the destruction of the first temple. Right. That was done by the... Babylonian. Right. So what else were you going to say? These are important things. It wasn't... Not not the destruction of the temples on the same day of the calendar year is not bad enough, but but there are a couple of other things. Do you want to give give us a few examples that we're also mourning? Yes, there's the city of Betar. In the year 135, was also destroyed. Uh, the Chelnitsky revolts in the 1600s. Uh, they say that World War One began on Tishabov, and so there's a there's a whole string of calamities, disasters, and that's why Jewish law says today that the closer you get to Tishabov, you have to think of this as a period of time that is not filled with a lot of luck for the Jewish people. Yeah. It's like a, a very sad and luckless Paul, E-A-L-L, that descends over the Jewish people. Uh, if you have to travel, this is not a good time to travel. If you have to have surgery, it's not a good time to have surgery. If you have to do other kinds of things that are risky, yeah. uh, a court case, don't do it during these three weeks and certainly not during the nine days. Got it. Increase your joy. Uh, back away from things that involve a lot of risk. Sure. It's just not a good time for the Jewish people. Can I say something? Yeah, please do. I think that what what Ilan is highlighting is a concept that may be not so familiar to Christians, which is that in, in the Jewish calendar, certain times of the year have a certain, um, like a feeling associated with them. They have that, um, and that we live through that calendar year after year. Correct. So just as just as the month of Av is associated, as Ilan said, with with hardship and 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 pain and difficult things, there are other times of the year that are associated with other feelings. Correct. Like, like um, around the time of Purim, when the when the month of um, Adar. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Adar comes in. Exactly the opposite. We're exactly. supposed to enjoy. Thank and, you. And when we, after, towards the end of the summer, we begin turning our thoughts towards repentance. Yes. So the whole idea of living as, living according to the Jewish calendar takes you through lots of emotional ups and downs along with the history of, of the Jewish people. I thought that was Excellent. important to add. Excellent. I'm glad you said that because when Elon was speaking about the, um, uh, the the beginning of the month of Av as being a day of uh, a period of of mourning decreased joy. So it's the exact opposite uh, for and, and in a sense the Hebrew calendar is more than just a series of milestones of wedding anniversaries and births and deaths, but it's in fact our playbook. It's really so how I heard this really amazing idea once that we celebrate the Passover holiday as you know on the fifteenth day of the month of Nisan. So some would say, well, that's the day that Moses took the Israelite slaves out of Egypt. And so we mark it like an anniversary. But in reality, in the way the way Jews understand time, that day was destined for redemption. And that's why that was the day that Moses took the Israelite slaves out of Egypt, because the what we would say in Hebrew, the mazel of the day, I'm not sure how to translate that, but like the character of the day is that it was a day destined for redemption. And so the, so the historical event matches. Okay. So let me, let me, I wanted to, I, I can't not think of Tisha B'Av and think of a story that's attributed to Napoleon. And we're talking about history. Ilan, you started leading into some, some relatively modern history, the Helmitsky massacres in, uh, in, in what's now Ukraine. Um, That's pretty modern. The the other one that's uh, the, 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 the beginning of um, the final solution 
uh, World War One. You mentioned the Final Solution was was uh, all conceived uh, in, in Nazi Germany on Tisha B'Av. But I always think of Napoleon, and I don't know if it's a real story, but it's a but it's a a great story, and 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 to some extent or another, I believe that the quote attributed to him is is accurate. Um, he was Napoleon, what uh, two hundred years ago, supposedly walking somewhere in Paris on Tisha B'Av, and walked by a synagogue and heard the mourning, heard the lamentations, the prayers, and asked what was going on. What are the Jews crying about? And he was told that it were, were mourning for the destruction of the temple, the last of which destroyed almost 2,000 years ago now, so 1,800 years ago then. And it, the, the quote that's attributed to him frequently is a nation that cries and fasts for 2,000 years for their land and temple will surely be rewarded with their temple. Now, I want to come back to that, but Rivka, as a writer, and, and you touch on a lot of subjects what do you think about that specifically, that moment allegedly 200 years ago uh, that Napoleon, and, and what, and, and I, and I want to not do a deep dive yet, but scratch the surface about what's prophetic about that. <clears throat> I, I, I'm not sure how to answer that. So okay. um, any way you want. I, this, these are these are my thoughts. I have to say that I have struggled since since we made Aliyah thirteen years ago or so. I have struggled a little bit more with Tisha B'Av because I feel like I'm here, like the Jewish people are returning, and that prophecy is being fulfilled. And how how mournful are we supposed to be when every time we drive to Jerusalem we see construction? Okay, we don't see the temple being rebuilt, but uh, but we still we still see the the return of the Jewish people. We still see the the rebuilding of of aspects of Jerusalem, maybe not on the Temple Mount quite yet. Um, and it is difficult to, um, you know, Nap I don't know what Napoleon's religious faith system was, right? But in a way, it reminds me that that comment of his reminds me of Psalm one twenty six, and uh. the idea that it will be people from outside of the Jewish nation that will be pointing out to us that our redemption is certainly coming. I uh, love that. So that's how, that's how I hear it. Let me share a quick story. Back in college, I studied Hebrew as my foreign language. We were a class of American Jews and one Christian student, Tim. One day I asked Tim why he was studying Hebrew. I really didn't get it. He explained that he was the son of a pastor and wanted to understand the Bible in its original language. He was insightful beyond my understanding at the time. Recently, I was introduced to eTeacher, which allows people all over the world to learn Hebrew, to develop a foundation of the original language of the scripture that's so important to us as Jews and Christians, and to gain an understanding that Tim understood, laying a critical path for understanding the Bible's original language and a foundation for Christians to understand both the modern state of Israel and the Jewish people on a more personal basis. E-Teacher offers programs to study both biblical and modern Hebrew taught by experienced scholars through an interactive curriculum. The Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is pleased to partner with E-Teacher and offer you a 15% introductory discount. You can register through the link in the show notes or be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to forward those links to you. Well, then that's a great setup for Steve. You've been sitting by quietly, um, listening to a Jewish conversation about Tisha B'Av um, until now. But, um, you know, just, and you know this, and I, and, I, and I hope that lots of Christians are listening and don't know uh, yet, and are, will learn today about Tisha B'Av. But until now, until our lifetime, Tisha B'Av has been a Jewish experience, and it's only in very recent years, emphasis on the very, I think, that we've seen Christians come alongside and, and, and find that uh, to be significant and, and, and participate. Um, what I find so interesting in that, and Elon, you were saying, you emphasized something earlier that we're talking about the destruction of the second temple. We have to remember when the second temple stood, Jesus was alive. Jesus didn't observe a day of mourning. 
he was he was able to bring offerings to the temple. He was able to worship in the temple. And so I understand why Christians come alongside and connect with Jewish roots of Christianity through biblical festivals, through Shabbat, through other things that we've done traditionally for thousands of years. But wh- why now, Steve? What's the what's the Christian experience that's bringing it? I mean, maybe it, it certainly goes to what Rivka said in terms of Psalm 126. And it's fascinating. There's so many different aspects to that. Uh, one, just like you said, Jesus worshipped in the temple. Matter of fact, he was passionate. And there was a time he actually went out and started throwing off the money changers. And those were yeah. some things he, he, he passionately said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Or my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And I mean, well, I, I like to tell people right, he right. wasn't very Christ-like. He was passionate and he was inflamed. He had that spirit of Pinkas. The, the the knew no boundaries, but just a passion for Hashem's house. And we need to have that same passion. Because when the temple was destroyed, it wasn't just the Jewish people that lost. If this is to be a house for all nations to come and mm-hmm. seek the Lord, we all lost. And many of the tragedies that, that the Jewish people remember on Tisha B'Av were were caused by our hands including the tearing down of God's house. We have to accept responsibility for what we have done. I mean, we can talk all we want about about Jewish responsibility in the temple and different things, but we have to accept our own responsibility and acknowledge our sins and the sins of our fathers. And I don't think we're coming to Tisha B'Av just for mourning, just for, just for crying for, for one thing, we just talked about uh, Rabbi Adler just, he just said that Tisha B'Av is almost like a morning. It's almost like sitting Shiva. You you sit and you weep over the past and you remember. And I think Christianity for many years has been very good at coming to all the festivals. We love to come to Passover. We, we love a good meal. We love to remember. We love the time <laughs> of freedom. We come to Sukkoth and we have parades and we have parties and we just, but you know what? When do you really know a people? Is when you sit in their most deepest anguish and their most difficult moments and try to understand their hearts. And that is where we're at. Okay. We are calling Christians and anybody that just understands what is going on to be joined to this time and weep together because we all lost. And when that temple is rebuilt, we are all in that season of redemption. Okay. That's cool. That's gorgeous. Thank you. Um, Ilania, I want to, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to um, not hearing you, but just, just one moment. I want, I like, I'd like to set take Steve, Steve, I want to come back to specifically what you're doing this week. But Ilan, yeah, I wanted to go to you because Steve just had to use the word, we all have responsibility. Now, the Jewish tradition is we do have responsibility. And and and, and it's still today. And I, I you, you were going to say something, and I don't want to filter that, but I'd like you to address what's your thought about Steve as a Christian saying we all have responsibility. I mean, do we have is that 2,000 years ago? Go ahead, please. Uh, uh, Steve, when you were saying we all have responsibility, what what exactly were you saying that in in terms of the destruction of the temple or it, it, yes how, how the Jews have been treated for two thousand years yes and yes <laughs> I believe it was our hands it, it was the nations the hands of the nations we call it wrong you don't whatever you want to call it were the hands that actually destroyed and emerged it and then for two thousand years. Christianity is in many ways desecrated God's name. We took the Torah, we took God's word, and we said we were acting in his name. And we persecuted. I mean, you just go down through how we have treated his his people, the, the Jewish people, you, and your fathers, and your forefathers. And, you know, we would not be here today if you and your forefathers had not kept and held to the promises and covenants. We're here today because you were faithful. Thank you. And I am so thankful for that. 
Because this redemption is here now because of your faithfulness. And somehow, you know, I think Christianity has been faithful in a way too. I mean, much of paganism was driven out of Europe through through that belief in, in, in the Torah that we received from you. Great. Now, but Elon, finally, I want to ask you, again, ask you to put the rabbi uh, hat back on, Well, or you haven't taken it off. Um, when we speak as Jews of, of responsibility, I'm glad you asked the question directly to, to Steve, um, we think of it very differently. Would you enlighten us? We, th- we think of it also as, as our responsibility uh, because uh, a nickname for the Hebrew month of Av is called Menachem Av. Uh. Menachem Av. And the word Menachem is a comfort. In other words, the month of Av needs a comfort. But Av is made up of the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph and Bet. So our rabbis teach us that we also have to comfort the Aleph Bet. What does that mean? It means to say that the Torah, which was written with the Hebrew Aleph Bet, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, that it's a time that we also need to comfort the Torah and the alphabet because the Torah was ignored, neglected. By who? By the Jewish people. This is what our prophets keep telling us. This past Shabbat, we read a prophetic reading from the book of Isaiah, where he quotes God as saying, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your holy days. I don't need, and he lists a litany of things where God says, I don't need them because you don't bring them to me sincerely. All It's the lip service, but I'm not getting the heart and the soul of what you ought to be putting into the service of God. Yes. So in a sense, we acknowledge that the alphabet, which was used to write the Torah, also needs comfort because it was neglected. It wasn't used properly. It wasn't, um, it wasn't kept with a heart and soul by which it needed to be kept. And therefore, our relationship with God suffered. There was a distance. And that's part of what caused the destructions of the temple. It's almost like a God saying, okay, the way you're behaving doesn't really make me feel like these buildings are doing anything for you. So let's take it away. <laughs> but at the same time, wow. many of our rabbis said that if only the world understood what the holy temple meant for the entire world, like Steve suggested. If they only understood, they wouldn't have destroyed even a brick of it. Yes. Wow. Rivka, what does it mean to you? Yeah, good. So I wanna I wanna connect actually what Steve said and what Elon just said. Great. So Steve is saying as a Christian, he feels he and his people have a responsibility um and to repair this breach. And Elon is giving the classic Jewish understanding of that the responsibility is on us. In other words, the Jewish people did not um, did not relate to God in the 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 most godly way possible. And that opened a door to allow for enemy nations to come in and to destroy it. Okay. But but I want to say something. So the two are connected. One is that the the behavior of the Jews, the lack of sincerity in serving God and with a full heart and soul, created an opening for people in the name of Christianity or Rome, Edom, all of that, to come in and to to destroy what we what God gave us. But there's something parallel to what's going on right now, and that is what's what Steve in the nation's ninth of Av and all of the the people in the Christian world that that work alongside of him in these kinds of projects, most Jews are generally not aware of what's happening in Correct. pockets of the Christian world and and are certainly not aware that we have a, re, a, a responsibility to, we, the Jewish people, have a responsibility to respond to that. So this symbiotic relationship that maybe started back in the destruction of the 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 temples continues today. It looks a little different, but what yeah. I'm basically saying 
is that we, the Jewish people, and the Christian world in this case, do not live in isolation from one another. We have not historically. Excellent. And our relationship is shifting as we get closer to you know the fullness of redemption. But it is very, very important that Christians accept responsibility for the things that they have done to the Jews. That is very, very important. But also that the Jews, and this is maybe equally important, accept the fact that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, not as our exclusive property forever and ever, but in order to share the universal wisdom of the Torah with the rest of the world when they are ready. And there are people like Steve and um, and many, many thousands of others like him who are now ready. And so there has to be great a connection. Made. Love it. Thank you. Um, note to self, always have a really great writer and editor to uh, to be able to bridge con- uh, conversations like this. Thank you. Um, you know, I want to say the, I've been so engrossed in this conversation. I missed an opportunity about uh, 10 minutes ago to say, hey, let's take a break. So I want to just take a quick break and then come back to you, Steve, and pick up what's happening now this week that you're that you're spearheading. But we're going to come right back. As remarkable and miraculous as Israel is, and its very existence a testimony to God's faithfulness, in many ways, Israel's like most other countries. Just as there are parents anywhere who have stronger and weaker parenting abilities, and adults become a product of situations in their lives that they cannot control, making their ability to raise and care for their own children even harder, that's true in Israel as well. The Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is committed and takes the mandate seriously to care for the least of these, our brothers, our children. We're committed to bless and strengthen orphans and at-risk youth, to invest in them, to empower them, so that their future will be brighter than their past or their present. But Israel is unique in that there are always threats of war and terror, which know no bounds. For children who come from homes that are not safe, Sometimes the very scary reality of living in a community that's not safe is too much to bear. We are committed to turning orphans and at-risk youth into children of promise. We fund a variety of programs to help those most in need as widely as we can. We invite and encourage you to join us today so that we can ensure their brighter tomorrow. Please visit genesis123.co to find out more and to send your love and most generous donation today. Okay, Steve, we've spoken about in your introduction and a few points in this conversation so far, the, 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 a, a simple English translation of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, but you've added the word nations, the nation's ninth of Av. What's ha- that you're spearheading and your family's involved with? What's happening this week and where, where has... What's the genesis of that? It is very recent, isn't it? I, well, I, I think many Christians are recognizing that, that God is moving in the Jewish people. He's regathering them. He's fulfilling his promises. And it, I mean, the nations have to make a decision. Is this the hand of God or not? For those that are truly seeking the Lord, we see the hand of God moving on the Jewish people and, and preparing for the gay law, the, the restoration and the kingdom. The question everybody is wondering is what is our place? What is our place as Christians? And it cannot be to upsurp like we have tried to for so many years, supersessionalism and replacement theology. I believe we're a complement. And I believe God's word says we're a complement. So when I go to Zechariah, Zechariah 8, Zechariah, it, it talks about these four fasts. And it says they will become seasons of joy and gladness, cheerful festivals for the house of Judah, therefore love, truth, and peace. But then how does it conclude? What is the catalyst that changes these? It says people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. Inhabitants of one city shall go to another and say, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Many peoples, strong nations, shall come seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. So the first thing that our prayer is, 
is that we would get Christians to turn and face Jerusalem, recognizing that this is where God placed his name. This is where he will rule and reign from. This is where the Torah comes forth. The word of the Lord comes forth. And, and Israel, the Jewish people, are those to whom he's entrusted it. So, Steve, how are you doing that this week? You've got a group that's that's uh, coming from the nations, literally. We we have a tour coming, and yeah. it, it's called the, the end of that verse. In fact, somebody wrote a book that, that's based on this. It, it says, in those days, 10 from every language of the nations shall grasp the sea or a seat of the Jewish people and say, God is with you. We have heard God is with you. Can we go up with you? Can, can we go with you? So we are asking first for the Christianity to turn their face to Jerusalem. And then we will see and grab a hold of the Jewish people and proclaim God is with you. And, and that is not, you're not going to drag us up there. I believe it's our job to lift you to your place, to grab your garments and say, God is with you. Let's go together, recognizing that place Israel is received as a firstborn son. And that we and we take our place as being a blessing, an encouragement, and a strength to you. Thank you. Okay, that's great. Now, you've got people. I don't know how big the group is. That's not relevant. But assuming we're in the same place a year from now, still mourning, still fasting, your 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 the nation's ninth of Av will be back bringing another group, God willing, bigger and better. What's going to happen this week? And specifically, I know the three of you are are doing Shabbat together as part next week. This come this coming Shabbat as part of the the tour. I I I love to know what's going to be happening there. Well, we have our group coming to Jerusalem, and we're going to tour through Jerusalem. Then on Tisha B'av, we are going to join the Jewish community at Independence Park. And we are going to march around Jerusalem with them in supporting. We're going to pray with them. That's a prayer walk. Prayer walk. The next morning, we will be get going up and making Aliyah with Rabbi Yehuda Glick. And going up on the Temple Mount and praying and seeking the Lord. Then we will be, we will be transitioning into a time of our own prayer. Because we need to deal with our sins. We need to acknowledge it. People say this is a sins. What are you repenting for? You didn't do this. Maybe your forefathers, generations past, you weren't even in there. You're American. No. Teshuva or Shuva is to turn, to change. And until we are willing to acknowledge and recognize that the, the doctrines, the theologies, the philosophies, our understanding of scripture is exactly the same as our forefathers. And until we turn and change that, we're on the same path as they are. Got it. So my prayer is that we as Christians would change directions, turn our faces towards Jerusalem, towards the Jewish people, and our doctrines and our understandings would, would do the same. So Teshuvah is much deeper than I'm sorry. Excellent. It's it, Okay, excellent. I, I like that. And Rivka, you alluded to, to another season uh, that, that's coming up where we have a, a whole uh, month or, or weeks of, of chuva of, of repentance. That's not for today's conversation, but but I'm glad you said it's more than saying sorry, Steve. Um, Ilan, I want to come back to you. I have a question. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and assuming that as rabbi, a rabbi, you're going to have some words to share with the group on Shabbat. Now, also talking about themes, once Tisha B'Av ends, we enter a different a different theme. We're now in a period of comfort, and it's known as Shabbat Nechamu, the, the Shabbat of comfort. What's your message to Christians this coming Shabbat, assuming that the temple doesn't miraculously fall between now and then? My, uh, well, I'll, I'll have several messages uh, to the Christians that we will be uh, joining with. Uh, one of the messages is that if we are going to rebuild, rebuild a temple, that um, every every one of their prayers, their good wishes, every one of their deeper understandings of the Jewish people, uh, of our Torah, of our customs, of our traditions, etc., 
um, every every step that the Christian community takes towards a deeper understanding of the Jewish people and a deeper appreciation of the Jewish people, each of them can become spiritually a brick, a brick in the rebuilding of the Holy Temple. So it's not so much a uh, a brick and mortar building, okay. although we certainly pray and wish it would be, but it's also a um, a, a rebuilding of, of attitude, as Steve said. Um, it's a rebuilding of a commitment. It's a rebuilding of understanding. And um, I just want to mention that um, when Ethiopians, Ethiopian Jews arrived here in Israel many, many years ago, they were shocked to learn that there was no temple. Right. They, they lived so far away from tradition. They were so disconnected. They came here to Israel. They wanted to see the Beit HaMikdash. They wanted to see the Holy Temple, and they were told they were, there was no temple. It was destroyed 2,000 years ago. The emotional reaction that they had was to do exactly what you do when you mourn. Oh, they excellent. On the ground, they started crying. They were mourning. And to me, um, I, I think the full effect of Tisha B'Av can be felt if we were to rename it Tishu B'Av. Tissue, <laughs> tissue love. In other words, if people really internalize what we're remembering and really what we're missing, we're missing a tone, a tenor, of buildings that engendered unity, kindness to each other. What the what the holy temples did is exactly what Americans felt on September twelfth. On September 12th, I don't know if you remember, September 12th, I went to stores that day, whatever. Everybody's asking each other, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah. Can I help you with anything? How am I doing? New York is three hours away from Baltimore. What, what do you want to know? I'm fine or not fine, whatever. But there was a kindness. There was a freshness of life that people wanted to talk about. And, I, and the temples engendered that. So we're missing that we're missing that feeling of brotherhood sisterhood togetherness working in the same channel going in the same direction reaching out to god having reached down to us love yeah it, it's it's an it's a nice analogy tissue bob uh which works well in english um i like the analogy uh with september 11th and 12th the difference of course being is that you were three. I was I was half an hour away. You were three hours away. I don't know where you were, Steve, um, but people who, who were who were several hours away by plane, and I and arguably um, the closer you were, the more impacted you were. But in the sense of the destruction of the temples, that that was an underpinning of the destruction of the um, core of Jewish life. And Steve, you mentioned also, and I'm grateful for that. How how it's a, as a house of prayer for all nations, it was a it, it was and remains a loss and 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 conversely a hope for for everybody. Um, thank you for that, Rivka. Um, you alluded to it before, and I'm glad you did. That since coming here in 2010, since making Aliyah, um, it's hard to really grapple with the loss because we're living now and. In the in the reborn state of Israel under Jewish sovereignty for 75 years, I was trying to do the math. I can't. I'm I'm a little tired at the moment. Uh, but more than 50 years since the reunification of Jerusalem, and no, we don't have the temple. But there is a. I don't know if it's a debate or if it's a dialogue or if it's just something that we sit around and talk about this time of year every year. Should we be mourning the same way? Should this be that vast? Um, and, and we did, we haven't even discussed what we do. It's not just mourning; it's fasting. It's not bathing. It's avoiding marital relations. It's it, it's all kind. It's it's a complete day of of mourning, and we're building up to it. It's not like it just happens. What do you what do you think? I mean, you 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 addressed earlier that it's not so easy because here we are. You from from not where you live because you're at the bottom of a hill, but from where I live, I can see Jerusalem. And and it's thriving. Should we be mourning the same way? This is a great question, and it was my own question. 
that I addressed with one of my Torah teachers this year. And um, I was reminded of a couple of things, a, a couple of points I want to make in that. One is that the longer I live here, the, the clearer certain things become to me. And one of them is when God gave the land of Israel back to the Jewish people in the form of a democratic state of Israel, we call that in, in Judaism, the first flowering of our redemption. Right. It's the beginning stage. But what I understand now and what I can articulate now is that the state of Israel is a temporary placeholder. It's not the final redemption. It is not the kingship of the Messiah. Yeah. And we, and although we, all four of us and people who think like us and see the world as we do, see us moving towards redemption, towards Geula, we're not there yet. And the many of the promises of Geula have not come true yet. And there's still plenty of suffering in the world. We are promised, for example, that there will be, um, there will be economic equity among people. We clearly are not there yet. That there will be equity between masculine and feminine in the world as it was back in the Garden of Eden. We're clearly not there yet. There's still plenty of suffering and still, I'm sorry to say, still plenty of Christians who hate us and who still hate us for whatever they imagine our sins are. And so when I remembered those three things, that the state is not, it's a temporary placeholder. It is not the, um, the, the, the kingship of the messianic leader that we're hoping for, that you don't have to go knock on too many doors to find a family that is genuinely suffering in one way or another. And even though Steve represents the vanguard of what's happening in the Christian world, yes. there's still plenty of people who are not where he is yet. And so it when I when I put those three things together, uh, or when she helped me, my teacher helped me put these three things together, it became obvious to me that there's still plenty to mourn for. Um, and I can appreciate the advances that we are living through and also recognize that we are not yet there. What an excellent comment. And I want to pick up on that fast forwarding to when the temple is rebuilt. But I um Two things. First of all, I've neglected because of how engaged I am in this conversation, things that I keep meaning to say, I forget. I, 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 when Elon, you were speaking at the outset, I wanted to mention and another point, listing the things, and there are many of them that we that we're mourning uh, for this week uh, that happened to the Jewish people. For anyone who wants, I always invite people to be in touch, to ask questions. So anyone who wants a list of what are the things, what you know, the, tell me more please email me at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. Um, I, I want to give, uh, and I'm blanking on, I just had a moment, senior moment, uh, Bob O'Dell's book, um, which, which the is The, the list. list, which is called The List. And, and and people can Google that and get it themselves or be in touch. Um, and for more information, because what we're unpacking here are so many deep issues. And I, and I, I impose upon the three of you the right to come back and share questions and maybe do a follow-up to the extent that people are interested. So please, folks, as you're listening, um, jot down those questions and be in touch with us. I want to take another very quick break, and then I want to come back and look at the future. What's going to what's gonna be? Uh, but first, let's, let's come back. Uh, let's take a break. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, 
and most of all to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Okay, uh, Rivka, before I went on my little soapbox there, um, you were talking, and I love how you said it, that it's, and we know this as, as modern Orthodox Jews, the, the beginning of the dawn of our redemption, but it is not the redemption yet. But I like how you then listed some of the things that still haven't happened. So what happens now, which we pray for, and people always say, this week, you know, if the if the temple isn't rebuilt between now and and Tisha B'av, then will then such such and such will happen. But what if it is? What if it is? Or what if, as some project, um, miraculously it'll fall from the sky? And uh, however however that temple comes back to where it belongs, will, is is the temple itself? going to change all of those things that are not perfect yet and are we do we still need to be mourning do we still need to be remembering that on this day in the year 1500 and whatever it was the Helmanitsky massacre in world war one and and uh and the the beginning of the final solution and all of the other horrible things what should happen when the temple is rebuilt i think what you're asking the bigger question of what you're asking is what is the jewish vision of redemption what does that look like it includes the temple but the, the temple is not the whole story okay so first well i don't know what the order is because our rabbis uh don't always agree on what the order is but here's a collection of things that we know that we've been told are going to happen number one well again i don't mean to put them in chronological order but one of them is that the rest of the jewish people have to return to the land of israel that's very important uh, that we need to meet the personality of the Messianic Redeemer. So that'll be an interesting shift in um, in the relationship between Christians and Jews, because, of course, we have a different vision for who that personality might be. We need to get the third temple. But, but there's other deeper spiritual things that are happening, because redemption is not a one-time event. If the third temple falls from the sky tomorrow or in an hour from now, it doesn't that's not the end of redemption. Redemption is a process that takes place over time, and we're living in that time. So that's what I believe. So, for example, a very important spiritual Jewish teaching is that the evil inclination will be vanquished. What does that mean? Mm. It means that humanity will no longer have a desire for sin, will no longer have a desire to hurt one another, will no longer have whatever that drive is the, the 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 inclination that entered us way back when in the garden of eden that will no longer function in the world and so human relationships are going to change and the the hierarchy of of masculine over feminine that we live in that i'm very very plugged into uh will change also and the the um there's a prophecy in, I want to say Jeremiah, um, that at the end of days, basically feminine spiritual energy will be restored to where it was in the Garden of Eden before the whole sin. And so there's a whole host of, and let me add, because I think this this will be, it's certainly true for the four of us and for the people listening to this. I'm very excited about this topic. So I really thank you for asking. <laughs> is that, People will spend their days getting closer to God, studying his word, doing uh, holy things. And everything that distracts us from that will no longer be attractive to us. Wow. I love it. Steve, there's so much to unpack there. And I want to just kind of give you uh, free reign to do so. But one specific item, Christian, and I, I, you know this, mm -hmm. uh, Rivka said, yes, there are many, many millions of Christians who do love us, who support Israel and the Jewish people and are, are are not quite where you are, but are coming along. But there are many who don't. So what what what's your response as to where we need to be going with that in the future toward the restoration of the temple and ultimate redemption? Uh, uh, one thing I think is very important. I think all of Torah is about restoring relationships. 
I think the broken relationship started in the garden between Adam and Eve, between God and man, Cain and Abel, and it just goes on and on. Esau and Isaac, or Esau mm. and uh, Jacob. And I think that the ultimate gay law is the restoration of all those relationships to one another. And I think the Lord is is putting that in front of us. They say the second temple was was destroyed for Sanat Hanim, right? The, the, the baseless hatred. And this is what Christians have had for the Jewish people for 2,000 years. So I think one thing we as Christians need to stop and we need to listen and we need to heart, hear the heart of Israel. We both believe in the Messiah. We, we may disagree on his coming or, his, or his, how many times he's been here or how this is going to all play out. But we both yearn for the Geolah. We both yearn for the, 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 the Messiah to come and sit on the throne of David. We both yearn for the, the redemption, just like Rivka's sharing that all things equity is is gone out and we can truly know God and, and actually put uh, his teaching into, into practice. Into, I, I think that's the start, like she said. The New Jerusalem, the kingdom, I believe that is the start of the okay. redemption because I believe we have a place and God has given us the honor to be his hands and feet in this world. And we're starting that right here and right now. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Elon? We we have history that's tainted with uh, Gentiles in general, and and in the most of the last two thousand years, Christianity and the Church, and and that's changing. But in the scheme of things, this is how we've lived as a people for thousands of years. Do, does it matter what Steve and other Christians are doing uh, in in the big picture vis-a-vis redemption? It, it should matter, definitely. Uh, now, at the same time, for a lot of uh, very traditional people, traditional Jews, it doesn't really matter. And uh, many of them see it as uh, very sinister. Oh, they just want to get close to us because of. Oh, they just want to nuzzle up to us because of. Many of them are not yet prepared to feel and to acknowledge the sincerity of Christians who love Hashem, they love God, they love the Jewish people, they love the land of Israel, they love the whole conglomerate of what Jewish people stand for, their teachings, uh, their prayers, their connection with God, etc. So that's a big hurdle to get over, that uh, for a lot of Jewish people, they're not ready to acknowledge the sincerity that so many of us see and appreciate. Well, the sincerity or that it even matters right which which right. i think we all agree that it does we all agree that it does but there are there are swaths swaths of of people uh jewish people for whom you know somebody once said we've been busy for two thousand years just trying to stay alive yeah so we're 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 not yet ready to soften up and accept that those that we've considered our so-called enemies are now trying to be our friends. So that's a big hurdle to get over. But there are people like Steve and so many others, thank God, who are really, really working at it. And people like my wife, Rivka, yep. who's for her books and presentations and everything else, classes, uh, me to some degree, but not anywhere near the other two, are, are trying to chip away at this kind of an attitude and trying to show the Jewish people we have an obligation to be the teachers of those who want to sincerely come close to the Jewish people, to Israel, to God, etc. Not for the purpose of conversion, just as Steve has said so beautifully many times, to walk together. Sure. To walk together towards the redemption. So what's interesting, and I just wanted to digress, and it's certainly not for the topic now, but uh, but in general, Jews like us, and specifically, the three of us have had not just um, who, who work with Christians as we do, have also had our share of uh, sometimes very harsh pushback from our fellow Jews. And and uh, and I and I don't say that for Christians to sympathize with us, but just to know that it's not an easy path. And and so while there are many 
who don't understand what Steve and, and millions of Christians like Steve think God, what they represent, and don't care, they think that there's something nefarious and, and that's something that we, we, you, us have suffered for. Um, I wanna begin to wrap up and I, uh, we've covered so many areas and could go on for another hour, but I wanna wrap up by asking each of you just an open-ended question. What are we, in the context of Tisha B'Av, in the context of what's going on this week, this year, historically, in terms of redemption, and Christians coming alongside and, and, and participating in this period of mourning and redemptive and redemptiveness with us. What, what have we not yet discussed briefly? Um, Elon, you started. You want to add anything that we missed? Um, uh, it doesn't exactly address your question, um, but I, I wanted to make this, uh, this thought. One of our great rabbis, who I don't remember exactly who it was, said that um, when we when we comfortably live our Jewish lives without the temples, it's almost like going to a wedding and people are having a wonderful time, the hors d'oeuvres, the reception, the food, the the music, the the joviality, the the fun of it. And somebody taps you on the shoulder and you say, Wow, you're having a great time. Have you seen the bride or the groom? And you would say, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, honey, have we have we seen them yet? No, I don't know where they are. So you can you can go the entire evening and have a ball. Yes. And not even know whether the bride and groom are there. So one of our great rabbis said that's what it feels like when Jewish people don't acknowledge what we have and what we lost. Yeah. In other okay. words, we don't even miss it. We're having a great time in this world. We're enjoying, we're making a living, making a life, having kids, going on vacations, doing wonderful things. But there's a core of us as a people that is missing, but we're just having too good of a time at the reception Thank and enjoying the hors d'oeuvres. So that's why I brought up this idea before about the tissue bug. Yes. So if we if we can eke out one tear out of even one eye, great. Shows that we're getting a deeper understanding of what we had and what we're missing. I think that is also a big step towards our redemption. Thank you. Beautiful. Rivka, Steve, you want to add anything that we haven't yet covered that we need to? Well, I think that difficulty the Jewish people have with us, it, it is really our responsibility to change that. We are the ones that have, have defiled a relationship for almost 2000 years. And so I feel personally responsible. And, and I want to, I, I, I'll just talk about something that Jesus told us. And he said, if you come to the altar, you know, we're talking about the temple right now. If you come to the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar. Go be restored to your brother. Hmm. And then return. The most important thing is that we be restored to our brother, those that we have wronged, those that we have sinned against. And until we figure this out, we're not going to understand what it really means to come and worship before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and bring a pure offering to his holy temple. So how can we come to the temple? If you were, rebuild, if you were to rebuild it today, we could not come in to, 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 to have offerings made on our behalf until that relationship is restored. So my prayer, and the ninth of all, I think all Christians should focus on that. Let's fix this. Yeah. Then come up to worship together. Excellent. Thank you. Rivka, last word. You know, before, before the time of Jesus, before the beginning of Christianity, there were, there were historically non-Jews who wanted to connect mm-hmm. with what Steve just called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the land of Israel and so forth. And the Jewish people at that time, in my understanding of the history, were open to that. 
and um, not to not to make they to remain as non-Jews, living as the best kind of non-Jews that they could under the Torah in the land of Israel. And then along comes Christianity and the two thousand years of bloody history that the list describes and that yes. some of us are certainly all familiar with. And all of that gets set aside. And now we are living in a time where uh, where we're beginning to see that spirit come up again in the world. We're beginning to see people coming from a Christian background who are now turning to the Jewish people and saying, we think you know something about God that we don't know yet, and we would like to know and please teach us. And I, I would just like to say that as a Jew doing this work, which is exactly as you said, Jonathan, it, it has been personally very painful and expensive in terms of certain relationships um, in the Jewish world. But I so, so believe in the sincerity of the Christians that that I have been privileged to meet, that it is it is worth the price that that we pay. And that exactly as Steve said, that we're we are from different from our different sides of this question, trying to rebuild what is the right relationship between among God's children um, so that we can all be in our correct relationship with God. Cause that's, that is ultimately the, not the antidote to Tisha B'Av, but the um, lesson, the, the lesson of Tisha B'Av because we didn't do that so well. Wow. Wow. I, I, I could not have asked or, for or imagined a better conclusion um, and I will say, honesty, I knew it was important. We only scheduled this a couple of days ago, um, and I'm so grateful. I knew it was going to be a good conversation. Bam, you all knocked it out of the park. Thank you so much, uh, Ilan Adler, Dr. Rifka, Rabbi Ilan Adler, Dr. Rifka Lambert Adler, and Steve Warp. Um, What a great conversation. Um, I pray that this week, for all the things that you're doing, uh, Steve and Rifka and Ilan together, with the nation's ninth of Av, and, and please God, that a year from now, we will see a uh, a different landscape, literally and figuratively, um, and a, a, it's toward that redemption. Um, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you, thank you Jennifer. Um, we want to wrap up, first of all, with the acknowledgement to our longtime podcast sponsors, Inspiration from Zion is now in its third year. Incredible how people are following and, and, and being inspired. Um, first, to acknowledge the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. I always say if you're ever in the area, just pop in and thank them for helping making conversations like this possible. And special thanks as well to the Coyne family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all of the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider helping to build, uh, continue the dialogue and build bridges um, by, by participating in the other programs that we are doing. Um, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your questions and comments as part of an ongoing dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially questions about traditional Judaism, kind of like what we've done today um, for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here for more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.